adults, take your Bibles, please turn to Revelation uh, chapter 8 this morning. Revelation chapter 8. Uh, good to see you this morning. Grab Bible. Uh, we'll turn to Revelation chapter 8 this morning, and uh, I'm going to open us in prayer. Let's pray. Father God, thank you, Lord, this morning uh, for the day today. Uh, Lord, we thank you uh, for the rain. Uh, we know the rain is a blessing. Uh, Father, I know this storm has been a problem for uh, people in the south, the coastal south, Lord, I pray you have your hand upon them. Protect them uh, this morning, please. Lord, thank you uh, this morning for the privilege to be here in church. Thank you for, uh, Lord, the young people who are downstairs this morning. Pray you be with Andrew Chitska uh, and um, Vilena um, and Rafi as they teach. Uh, Lord, our young people, we pray for Oliver and Josiah. Uh, and for Maxwell, Lord, please use those classes this morning. Father, I pray this morning as we uh, look now at Revelation 8, Lord, that you help us to uh, understand uh, what is happening here, Lord. And, and Father, please encourage us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Uh, so Revelation 8 this morning, uh, we see here uh, the Lord is continuing to unveil uh, his program uh, for the tribulation period. Brother Ray, we remember this morning, the tribulation period is primarily about reaching Jewish people with the gospel, right? Uh, shaking people awake uh, with all of the various uh, trials and struggles and great tribulations uh, of the tribulation period. Lord has a program uh, for that. Uh, I don't know about you, but I was encouraged to have Brother, I'm going to try to say his name in his absence, uh, Savolovsky. Uh, here on Wednesday night, Jewish man who came to Christ at 16, uh, despite the great cost of doing so. You heard his testimony, there was a great cost indeed. Uh, there's great cost for not coming to Christ, Brother Mike, and, and he came to understand that. And so um, we'll, we'll be um, thinking more about uh, some things that he shared with us and praying more about opportunities uh, that we might pursue in our church to reach Jewish people. Uh, I know there's, there's some who have close personal relationships with Jewish people and that you'd love nothing more than to see them saved. And of course, we, we do too. So um, ultimately, uh, the Lord has this program of the tribulation period to cause Jewish people to come to Christ. Now, uh, we saw back in chapter 6, uh, the first six of what the Lord calls seven uh, trumpet judgments, forgive me, seven seal judgments, uh, seal judgments. Uh, we saw the first six of them. And then there's kind of a pause uh, in, the, um, in the chronology, in the timeline. Uh, and then chapter seven, we saw uh, kind of b before the judgments continue, Mike, last week, we saw the Lord evidently saving 144,000 Jewish people uh, 12,000 from each of 12 tribes. The uh, Bible says they are sealed, evidently a reference to the sealing of their salvation by the Holy Spirit, same Holy Spirit who seals our salvation today, uh, in, ensuring that it cannot be lost. Uh, they, we, see it, we saw in Isaiah 66, evidently go out and evangelize uh, the world. Uh, many are saved. Uh, Brother Ray, we know that many will ultimately die, but they will die as saved people and therefore not spend eternity uh, in hell. So this is, you know, Lord has a, uh, a, a wonderful program. It's, um, it's a, going to be an effective program. Many, many, many uh, will be saved. And so as we see more of the judgments, you have to bear in mind this is 
the Lord's final effort to shake people awake, to stop them in their tracks and to cause them uh, to pause and, and hear the gospel. Mike, if people will just hear the gospel from the word of God, they come under conviction. You can count on that. Uh, and, and some at least will uh, repent and, and place their faith in Christ. So uh, don't lose sight of the fact this is what uh, this, this program of the tribulation um, is all about. Now, we come to chapter 8 this morning, and uh, we'll see the seventh seal judgment being opened. And, you know, this is, this is um, the, the language of seals and trumpets and vials. That, that's poetic. The judgments are, are quite literal, uh, but the language the Lord is using to, to picture the relationship and chronology, the timeline of these judgments, I think that's, that's a little bit poetic. There's seven seals. Uh, we'll see the sixth so-called seal judgment open today, uh, and the Lord kind of arranges the remaining judgments as parts of uh, the seventh seal judgment. So you'll see seven trumpet judgments within this final seal, uh, and then seven so-called vile judgments uh, within this seal also. And um, there, there may be more significance, but I, it, at least we can understand this is just kind of the hierarchy or the way the Lord is organizing uh, his description of these judgments. There's seven seals, and within the seventh seal, there's seven trumpets and seven vile judgments. Now, uh, the trumpet judgments that we'll see, we'll see some of those uh, today. Uh, here in, in this chapter, we see the first four of seven trumpet judgments. Uh, the trumpet judgments, judgments, you may recall, basically picture uh, heavenly bodies, if you will, being cast to the earth and you know, wreaking some havoc that way. Mike, if there was a large heavenly body cast to the earth today, we know that would wreak some kind of havoc and certainly people would be stopped in their tracks long enough to consider hey what's the, what's this all about no doubt again the lord is using uh, these things that way uh, here in this book okay enough of an introduction let's let's see how the lord actually says it uh, revelation 8 verse 1 the seventh seal judgment is opened uh, when he had opened uh, the seventh seal uh, there it is uh, when he had opened the seventh seal, uh, there was silence uh, in heaven for the space uh, of half an hour. So it seems like there's a little bit of a pause uh, for, for a short time. Uh, verse 2, John sees seven angels. I saw the seven angels uh, which stood before God, uh, and to them uh, were given seven trumpets. Now, there's a little bit of a debate, and I'm not sure we can resolve this this side of heaven, but... Zach, you remember the, John has seen seven spirits uh, before the throne room of God. Uh, here it's seven angels uh, is the word. Both words are the words of God. Uh, are they the same? Are, are the seven spirits the same as the seven angels? We talked about the seven spirits perhaps being an allusion to the perfections of the Lord, uh, as was described back in Isaiah. Um, are those angels, well, we, we, we decided that was probably more likely uh, poetic language regarding uh, the seven uh, perfections uh, of Isaiah. What I will say, Mike, is that verse 2 says angels, and so I know for sure these are angels. Uh, the, these are literal angels that John sees. 
Stop thinking about angels for a moment. We're called to be hospitable today, right? Because uh, you don't know, if you, you may have the opportunity to be hospitable to an angel today. Uh, Mike, I don't think we would know that necessarily, but that, you know, that's New Testament um, uh, Bible that uh, no doubt applies uh, today. We know the Lord uses angels in a variety of ways. They're messengers today. Um, they're, they're, they are the Lord's messengers. They minister to Christ. No doubt they minister to, Christ, to us as well in ways that we, we do not see or perhaps understand. Uh, could they appear to us as, as men today? Uh, no doubt that is the case based on what we see in the New Testament. We know in the Old Testament they, they, um, they appeared to uh, men as men, and, and so no doubt this is a possibility uh, today also. Much more could be said about angels, but uh, the Bible says that John saw seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And so the Lord is going to use, during the future tribulation period, evidently, these seven angels to pour out these uh, seven trumpet judgments to get the attention of people. Yes, it's a judgment, uh, but it seems to be judgment with the goal of, of getting their uh, attention. Now, in verse 3, there's another angel. Uh, verse 3 says this, And another angel came uh, and stood at the altar. Brother Ray, it says angel. We're going to say it's an angel. That's what the Bible says. Another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer, uh, and there was given unto him much incense. This kind of pictures um, a part of what you would have seen back in the Old Testament tabernacle or the temple. Uh, there was a censer that, that held incense. The uh, Bible says there, there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it uh, with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, uh, which was before the throne. Now remember, uh, New Testament shows us that the old, brother Ray, the Old Testament temple and tabernacle uh, were a picture of the arrangement of the throne room uh, in heaven. And so uh, I think we do well to understand this, this language is, is quite literal, it refers to the uh, arrangement of the throne room in heaven being literally like that of the Old Testament temple or tabernacle. Uh, there's, there's, um, there's an altar, uh, there's, there's uh, incense uh, being used. Uh, verse 4, the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints uh, ascended up before God out of the angel's uh, hand. That's just, it's very, very interesting. Um, the prayers of the saints here being brought before uh, the throne, the throne room uh, in heaven. Uh, the incense that was used um, historically, Old Testament setting, uh, going up to heaven as, as it would burn Mother Mike and it, it would go up, I believe that was intended to be a picture of, of prayers go, going up to the Lord. And uh, here, sure enough, in the throne room of heaven, we see uh, incense being burned, uh, the smoke of the incense uh, accompanied by the prayers of the saints coming into the throne room of heaven. And so what was just a picture in the Old Testament uh, is, is now being seen here at, in, in the New Testament, end of the New Testament, uh, as, as the prayers literally coming into the presence of God. Now, uh, Brother Ray, that's an encouragement to me 
uh, you know, evidently during the tribulation period, the, the Lord will hear the prayers of his saints. They, those prayers will come uh, before him. They, they will come to him. There's no reason to think that is not the case today. We know biblically the Lord hears our prayers. We know biblically that prayers can be hindered by certain sins, uh, not, not hindered from the Lord hearing them, but perhaps the Lord answering them the way we might desire uh, he might withhold a blessing because of certain sins, but uh, I don't believe there's any scriptural basis to make a claim that uh, something will prevent the Lord from hearing uh, our prayers. You, you, may, you may come up with a verse that might imply that, but I, I think we could see pretty clearly that the Lord does know our prayers, uh, certainly. Uh, so here's this wonderful picture of, of prayers coming uh, before the Lord. Turn back to chapter 5, uh, just quickly, uh, please. Uh, do have a Bible, uh, Revelation chapter 5 and, and verse 8. Uh, you recall prayers. We, we've seen prayers before in Revelation. Uh, here John writes Revelation 5, 8, when he had taken the book, uh, the four beasts and uh, four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, that's Christ, of course, having every one of them harps. Uh, and then this language, uh, golden vials full of odors or, or perfumes, uh, which are the what? Prayers of the saints. Uh, and so there, the prayers of the saints were literally being pictured as stored up by the Lord in, in vials uh, as, as a very precious perfume uh, would be stored uh, in a vial, something precious, uh, worthy, or, um, valuable, I mean to say. Uh, hopefully not that precious in the sense of rare. Lord, help our prayer not to be rare. But uh, back in Revelation 5, 8, uh, John sees the prayers of the saints being stored up by the Lord, uh, kept by him as something very precious. Uh, here in uh, chapter 8 and verse 3, uh, the prayers are, are coming up to the Lord. So they're coming into his presence. They're being heard by him and uh, chapter 5, verse 8 implies that the Lord is, is valuing them greatly. Brother A, who, who am I uh, to pray to the Lord? Why, why would my, how could my prayers be valuable uh, or precious to the Lord? But they are. <laughs> uh, but, but they are. The Lord values each of us, um, I would say, infinitely. We have infinite value to the Lord, every person, no matter what. Uh, we're made by him in his image for his purposes. We have tremendous value and purpose before him, no matter what. Uh, he wants to hear from us. He values our, our prayers do come into his presence. He, he makes sure of that. Uh, and he stores them up because they are precious to him. Uh, they are valuable to him. Uh, let's get down just a several, very quickly, several quick reminders about prayer. Uh, if you're taking notes, just, just get several quick reminders uh, about prayer. We'll ask some questions, then we'll give you a verse or two that will answer them biblically. Uh, first of all, when should we pray? Uh, Brother Mike, when, when should we pray? Well, we understand biblically we're called to be praying always. Uh, Luke 18, 1, Jesus spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray uh, and not to faint. Don't, 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 don't stop. Don't, don't faint or swoon, pass out, stop. No, pray uh, always, always, always. We know there's lots of other verses. We look a lot at First uh, Thessalonians. There we go. Chapter 1, verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you all. Um, 
That was Paul's testimony to the Thessalonian church. He, he prayed always for them. Well, that's because we're commanded to be people who are praying always. Lord, help us to be praying always, uh, remembering that our prayers do come into your presence, uh, that you do treasure them, you value them, uh, you do store them up. Lord, you hear them and you answer them in the best way. Uh, how long are we called to pray? Are we, is it okay to pray a little bit today and then, and then not so much? Uh, well, no, we, we understand, we remember we're called to be praying without ceasing. Certainly you have verses that uh, teach that. There's numbers of them. Uh, Acts 12 and verse 5, Peter was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing. Uh, you remember that prayer meeting for Peter as he was imprisoned in, in Philippi. They didn't just pray once and say, well, okay, the Lord heard us. No, they kept on praying. Uh, that's Lord's desire. Uh, later on, uh, Paul told the Thessalonian church, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Uh, if you're someone like me who has trouble memorizing uh, verses and passages, that's one that we can remember, Brother Mike. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 Pray without ceasing. I got that verse down. You got that one down uh, this morning uh, also, no doubt. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, uh, pray without ceasing. We're called to be praying always, uh, to start praying and, and to keep on praying. Uh, what should we pray about? Well, we have our, Zach, our Philippians 4, uh, 6, 7 uh, passage, be careful for nothing, be worried about nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Uh, we're literally called to be people who pray about everything. Uh, if you'd like to have an outline for your prayer, you can look at the Lord's model prayer in the Gospels. And of course, uh, that's, a, that's uh, taken not so much as what precisely literally to pray, uh, but as an, an outline of how to approach the Lord in prayer. I remember it began and ended with, with worship, with praise and worship, and the, the asking for certain things was uh, a relatively small uh, portion of the prayer. Praise and worship was the bookends of the Lord's model prayer. Uh, where should we pray? Well, we remember we're called to pray everywhere. Uh, everywhere, I'll give you one verse, First uh, Timothy 2 and verse 8. Where should we pray? We're called to pray everywhere. First Timothy 2 and verse 8. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy, I will, therefore, uh, I desire, the Lord desires, uh, I will, therefore, that uh, men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Uh, yeah, Lord, help us to be people who pray all the time about everything. Keep on praying without ceasing and, and do that everywhere. Uh, you can pray throughout the day. You might, we, we can pray when we're walking up the street or, or driving somewhere. Uh, Lord, give us hearts uh, to pray uh, everywhere, all the time, without ceasing, about everything. Of course, we want to have uh, a time where we begin and end our day with you know, more focused prayer, where we kind of come apart and focus uh, on prayer for a time, but uh, Lord would have us to continue uh, praying throughout the day, uh, certainly as he lays things on our minds. Uh, he values our prayers. They, they come into his presence, Brother Mike, uh, and he treasures them. Well, let's continue in verse 5 in our passage, back to uh, Revelation 8 and verse 5. So uh, there's uh, angels here, seven angels who are given seven trumpets, 
Uh, they will blow these trumpets and bring forth judgment, uh, evidently, as part of uh, the Lord's tribulation uh, program. Verse 5 says, the angel took the censer, uh, filled it with fire of the altar or from the altar, cast it into the earth, and there were voices and thunderings uh, and lightnings and an earthquake. Uh, and so, yeah, sure enough, uh, tribulation or earthquake is a recurring theme. Uh, we've seen an earthquake in Morocco recently that killed several thousand people, we believe. Uh, the earthquakes of the tribulation period seem to be far worse, much worse uh, than that. They seem to have some global effect. Of course, Christ uh, preached and taught about uh, earthquakes and other aspects of the tribulation in Matthew uh, 24 also, but uh, some, some recurring uh, themes here. Uh, verse 6, the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves uh, to sound. And so the Lord says, hey, uh, here's, here's seven trumpets. Your brother Ray, perhaps they're literally going to sound their trumpets and then uh, bring forth the uh, tribulation trials, the judgments that will come forth uh, with each trumpet. And then verse 7, so uh, verse 4, 5, 6, the Lord uh, gives them their assignment prepares them, um, they prepare themselves, verse 6, and then right away, uh, the first trumpet judgment uh, is seen. Um, see verse 7, the first angel sounded, blew their trumpet, and there followed uh, hail and fire. Uh, hail, of course, can be extremely destructive. We know fire can be destructive, uh, we saw fire destroy, Brother Ray, the vast majority of a town in Maui uh, in just a very short period of time. That fire blew through that town, and uh, there, there were some structures that remained, but the vast majority of them were burnt right to the ground uh, in a very short period of time. Uh, hail can do incredible damage. It can dent cars. It can break car windows. Uh, a car window, Brother Mike, that's not an easy thing to break. If, if you try to break it with your hand or, or your arm, you're probably going to end up with something broken. But hail can break car windows. Uh, the first angel sounded. There followed hail and fire mingled with blood. Uh, that is what the verse says, mingled with blood. Uh, and they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of trees were burnt up, uh, and all the grass uh, was burnt up. Uh, Zach, how do you understand the third part of the trees uh, and all the grass? Uh, could could be, or or it could be could be that could be the top half is or top third is is burnt down, or uh, it could be a third of all the trees around around the world. That's one or the other, right? We we maybe can't be uh, exactly sure, but uh, th this is very significant destruction. Uh, I think there's no reason to, to, to not view this as, as around the world. This is a global phenomenon uh, like the flood. The flood was obviously a global phenomenon, uh, a global judgment. Uh, these uh, judgments that we see here do, do seem to be global um, in nature. Brother Ray, if, if they're not, there's no suggestion at all in the language that they're not. Uh, there's the earth, uh, middle of verse 7, and a third part of the trees and all of the grass burnt up. So evidently, it's around the world, um, around the earth. I want to share uh, one observation, which is not my own, uh, which is, is very interesting. 
Um, Dr. Sorensen, who will be here uh, this coming uh, spring, Lord willing, in March, uh, he'll be with us for several days, uh, observes, and I don't think he's the originator of this observation either, but uh, many of the judgments that we see uh, do seem to parallel the judgments of Egypt um, as the Lord was bringing the people out of Egypt. Remember the various plagues of Egypt uh, that the Lord uh, brought forth to convince the Pharaoh to allow Moses and the people uh, to go. Uh, and so some have, set, have seen the possibility that while the plagues of Egypt no doubt were literal historical events, they happened, <laughs> they, they happened. Uh, it's a possibility that those plagues are intended by the Lord to foreshadow or prefigure or picture uh, the far greater uh, trials and judgments of the tribulation period. And so we've seen, we've seen a couple of times recently that sort of phenomena in scripture. One thing in history pictures uh, something that is still present. Not saying that the language about what was past didn't actually happen or it was just poetic. No, it happened and it happened at that point in the past for a purpose. God had a purpose, but it also is intended by the Lord to picture something uh, perhaps greater, larger, uh, even more significant in the future. Zach, I believe the plagues uh, of Egypt in, in uh, Exodus, uh, those, those affected an area, they, they were regional. Whereas the judgments of the tribulation period uh, do seem to be literally global. Um, so do, do this, um, look at, um, let's go back there and just take a quick peek. Exodus, thought I had it in my notes, but I don't. Exodus 9, uh, 23. Genesis, Exodus 9. Let's see if that's the right place. Exodus 9 and verse 23 and following. Uh, Moses, yeah, Exodus 9, verse 23. Is everybody there? Are you there? I'll give you a minute. Exodus 9 and verse uh, 23. Go back to verse 22. Lord said unto Moses, stretch forth thine hand toward heaven, that there, or so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt. So this is obviously uh, local or regional. Upon man, upon beast, upon every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, uh, and the fire ran along um, the ground, uh, and the Lord rained hail uh, upon the land of Egypt. Um, fire there in verse 23 might be what? What kind of fire might accompany hail today? Lightning, yeah. And, and it going along the ground, there's, a, there's ball lightning. You've seen pictures of ball lightning. It literally looks like a ball that rolls along the ground. This, this could be a literal picture of that. Not necessarily, but that's, uh, that's possibility. So, yeah, sure enough, there's, there's hail uh, and, and fire. Um, and it, so it's possible here in our passage, Revelation 8 and verse 7, where you see hail and, and fire, it could be the fire of lightning. So... Uh, this could be a, uh, a terrible thunderstorm like the world has never seen before that will produce hail around the world accompanied by tremendous lightning striking uh, all over the world and, and doing incredible damage. Lightning is, is fire, of course, in, in a sense. Uh, the blood is a whole other thing. <laughs> There's blood as well. 
Um, it, back in Egypt, were not the waters turned into blood, uh, right? That, that was the case. Was it literal blood? Was it literal blood? I mean, there's no reason to think not. That's what the Bible says. Brother Ray, how could that be? Oh, it must have been like some algae bloom or something that made the waters to appear red. Well, that's not what the Bible says. <laughs> the Bible says it was blood. Uh, and that's what the Bible says here. Uh, is it possible that, uh, well, let me ask you another question. Is the hail and fire that's being sent here in verse 7, is that supernatural? Is that being sent supernaturally by the Lord, or is this just occurring sort of randomly in nature? Brother Ray? It's supernatural, right? This is a supernatural storm of storms, uh, like nothing the world's ever seen. Uh, uh, and, and so if that's the case, is it possible the Lord could mix blood uh, into that equation? Well, sure it is. It's all supernatural. Uh, he did that back in, in, in Exodus, uh, certainly, he has the power uh, to do that in the future tribulation period also. Uh, let me say this, if, if there's a global hailstorm uh, that, that is raining down fire, uh, whether it's lightning or not, together with blood, Mike, if I were there, that's going to have my attention. That's going to have my attention. When someone opens a Bible and points to Revelation 8, 7, the Lord is going to have my attention. And, of course, that's what's going to happen. Uh, there's going to be plenty of people around who are, who are going to know that the Bible prophesies these things, but who did not come to Christ. Of course, the 144,000 who were saved uh, just before this, they're going to go around saying the same thing. Hey, this is that. This is Revelation 8 and 7. Uh, and, you know, the things that follow, it doesn't get better uh, for a while. It gets a lot worse before it gets better. Uh, and so hear the gospel and be saved. Hear the gospel and be saved. And uh, yeah, the Lord will save uh, many through these things. Uh, see verses 8 and 9, so Revelation 8, verses 8 and 9, the second trumpet judgment. So uh, here within the final, uh, the seventh seal judgment, we're looking now at the first and now the second trumpet judgments. Uh, they affect the sea waters as... Uh, a large fiery mountain is thrown probably into the Mediterranean, turning some portion of it to blood. Uh, verse 8, the second angel. So Lord commissioned angels. Here's the second one. Uh, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. And people say, well, what, what sea? What sea? Well, the sea that would be familiar to uh, Jewish people in the first century would be the Mediterranean Sea. Um, uh, if this is not the Mediterranean, we'd probably be surprised. Um, it is, um, it's the sea that would have been the sea that would be most familiar to uh, people who would be the initial recipients of, of this book, at least. Uh, second angel sounded, as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, uh, and the third part of the sea became blood. So, Zach, there's that language again, third part. Verse 9, and the third part of the creatures were, which were in the sea uh, and had life died, uh, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. Now, Zach, if you look at verse 9, the third part of the creatures in the sea uh, and had life died. Um, this is one of those cases where I think we can look at how the language is used in one verse and bring it back to the other verse and make some conclusions 
um, about whether it was a portion of, of all the trees um, or uh, uh, a portion of each tree. I didn't say that clearly. Was it a third of all the trees or were, were uh, a third portion of each of the trees everywhere burned? Looks like the Lord is using the third part here uh, to refer to a, a third of, of all. That's still not clear, Brother Mike. Uh, if there were 10, uh, three, three, and a, three and a third were killed. Uh, and so that seems to be how the language is, is being used. Uh, it does raise questions about a third of the sea. Uh, is, is it a third of one ocean or sea or a third of each ocean? That, that's a little, still a little bit um, unclear. Um, so there's a mountain thrown into the sea, probably uh, the Mediterranean. Uh, we've already mentioned uh, the blood uh, that was involved in, in smoting the waters, smiting the waters uh, in Exodus. That's Exodus 7:20. I'll just read it. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. He lifted up the rod, smote the waters that were in the river, the site of Pharaoh, the site of his servants, and all the waters that were in the river were turned uh, to blood. What river would that have been? Yeah, it would be the Nile, almost certainly. Uh, and so again, that was a that was a local or regional thing, whereas the um, the, the tribulation seems to be uh, a, a larger event. Let's continue on in verses ten, eleven. There's the third judgment, uh, third trumpet judgment. So again, we're looking at the seventh seal judgment and the trumpet judgments, which are a portion of the seventh seal judgment. Uh, there's a star that is named Wormwood. Uh, in these verses. Um, wormwood is a plant uh, that was well known in the Mediterranean world, in, in the Bible lands. And uh, if you tried to eat wormwood, you would quickly discover it was very bitter. So uh, wormwood was something that, uh, a plant that was very bitter. Uh, here you have, um, seems to be a star that the Lord has named wormwood that is, that is coming down. Uh, it's, it's, it's falling into the waters of the earth, making the waters very bitter. Uh, it's just very interesting. You understand how that word is, is used uh, culturally at, at the time that John was writing. Verse 10, uh, the third angel sounded and there fell a great star from heaven, uh, burning as it were a lamp. Uh, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers, upon the fountains of the waters. Uh, is this literally a star? Well, that's the, that's the word that's used. Um, is it a giant asteroid? Is it, it's, it's an asteroid would, would seem as something streaking across the sky as if it were burning, because they, they do burn as they enter into the atmosphere. Uh, is, is star being used somewhat figuratively here? I think that's a possibility. Um, we'll, we'll see for sure when the, when the Lord carries out this program. Uh, verse 11, the name of that star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood, bitter. Uh, and many men died of the waters because uh, they were made bitter. Uh, Mike, I don't know if that means that they couldn't drink the water because it was so bitter to the taste, or if perhaps it means that the water became unhealthy or even poisonous. Uh, is more likely a possibility. But uh, it seems to be the case that um, this, whatever this is, um, uh, probably a, a large asteroid that affects uh, a third of the rivers and, and fountains of water around the world, 
uh, it, it causes the waters uh, around the world to become undrinkable, largely undrinkable around the world. This would have people's attention. There's, there's no water. We can't, we can't get water. People cannot live long without water. Verses 12 and 13, the fourth trumpet judgment, um, and we're done. Uh, the fourth trumpet judgment will smite the heavenly bodies and cause darkness on the earth, similar to the ninth plague uh, of Egypt. Uh, verse 12, the fourth angel sounded and the third part of the sun uh, was smitten uh, and the third part of the moon uh, and the third part of the stars, uh, so as the third part of them was darkened uh, and the day shone not for a third part of it and the night uh, likewise. That doesn't sound good, Brother Mike. <laughs> I won't read the verse again. The fourth angel sounded, the third part of the sun uh, was smitten, the third part of the moon, the third part of the stars, so as the third part of them was darkened, uh, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night uh, likewise. Um, Brother Ray, that's, that's difficult language, and I think it could be understood uh, at least one or two different ways, but what is clear is that there's something happening cosmologically uh, that is affecting the light of the sun and the moon and the stars in a very dramatic way. They're, they're not showing uh, or shining as would be expected. Uh, I think this is understood as a, a third part of the time that they normally would. Uh, one man suggests that the duration of the day-night cycle is shortened by one-third from 24 to 16 hours. Uh, and he, he says, well, why, why would God do that? Well, that, you know, that would have people's attention also. Uh, but if the length of days was shortened at this point in time, that would actually be quite merciful. That would be a great act of mercy uh, on the Lord's part. I don't know if that's literally the case or not. But what I do know is the Lord is uh, doing something cosmologically that visibly affects the light of, of the sun, moon, and stars uh, and and this, is, this is part of his program to get people's attention. Brother Ray, this would be hard. All of this would be most difficult to ignore. Verse 13, I, I beheld, this is John speaking, and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's not like, whoa, slow down, like, whoa, horsey. It's whoa, like trial, judgment, difficulty, great whoa. He's pronouncing whoa three times. Trial, difficulty, tribulation, whoa. Trial, difficulty, tribulation, whoa. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth uh, by reason of the other voices of the trumpets of the three angels, uh, which are yet to sound. Um, <laughs> Uh, there's more to come. He's, Brother Ray, he's basically saying, this is terrible, this is difficult, but wait, there's more. There's, uh, there's much more to come still. Uh, there's three angels and their trumpets, uh, the three final trumpet judgments, portions of the seventh seal, if you will, uh, that are still to come. Mike, this would have my attention. I don't expect to be there. If I understand my Bible correctly, I'll not be there. The rapture will catch us away uh, to meet the Lord in the air and then off to heaven with resurrection bodies uh, before the tribulation happens. That's how I understand my Bible. I'm, I'm grateful for that. 
Um, this is God's program to reach people who refuse Christ through, through every other means of, of being reached. I want to make one quick observation here in verse 13, and we'll stop. Uh, look at the beginning of the verse. John writes, and I beheld and heard, and what? Angel. Angel. Uh, this is a correct translation from the uh, Greek text that's been handed down through the churches throughout the centuries, the so-called TR, Textus Receptus, that body of texts that have been handed down by the churches um, from the first, arguably from the first century. Um, the underlying word there for angels, Zach, do you remember what that would be? Angelos is the Greek word. And sure enough, in, in our TR text, um, which does represent the text that's been handed down, uh, God promised to uh, not only give his words, but to preserve them. I believe he's preserved them through the, the so-called Textus Receptus body of manuscripts. Uh, sure enough, in the TR, it's angelos uh, in the Greek. However, in the text that has been corrupted through the academic process of textual criticism, uh, angel is changed to eagle. Angel is changed to eagle. And so if you're reading... Uh, any of the modern Bible translations, most of them at least, would say eagle uh, instead of angel. I would argue that represents a corruption uh, of the text. Brother Ray, some people jump in and say, well, that means God didn't preserve his words. If he allowed corruption into the Bible text, that means God broke all the promises that he's made about preserving his words. We say, no, he hasn't <laughs> because we have the text that's been handed down from church to church down through the centuries that we know today as, as the TR, the Textus Receptus, uh, and we have lots and lots of translations made from the so-called Textus Receptus, including our English King James Bible that correctly translate the word angelos because it's there uh, as angel rather than eagle that appears in the corrupted versions. And so while there are corrupted versions, and virtually all of our English translations are made from the corrupted versions, uh, our King James Bible accurately translates the preserved word from the TR. And so, yeah, it's just a reminder of the importance of uh, the King James Bible. It is a translation, but it is an accurate translation of the inspired and preserved words of God. It is a technically accurate translation, and we praise God for that. Um, you know, Zach, the Lord could have used eagle here. He didn't. He used angel. Uh, he heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven. Um, why would you expect, by the way, Zach, let me keep picking on you for just one second, then we're done. Why would you expect the word, the correct word, would be angel and not eagle? Why would you expect that? Correct. That's correct. You would expect the word to be angel, not eagle, because the, the, the creature, the being, whatever it is, is giving forth a message. And, and biblically, it's the role of angels uh, that do that. I should have checked this. I, you could check and see if there's another example elsewhere in Scripture where the Lord poetically refers to an eagle as giving forth a message. I don't think that would be the case, but... Maybe if we research that, we might find an example or two in the poetic texts, such as the Psalms. I don't think that would be the case, but, but here it's, it's angel, and, and that's what angels do. They, they 
bring messages and, and they minister. Lord, Lord, help us to see the importance of our, our Bible and uh, the importance of this whole text. It's, it's, do you have a thought? No, okay. Uh, this is God's program. It's the wrath of God and the judgment of God. Sure, it's that, but it's God's program to shake people awake and to get their attention. Zach, did the Lord have to do this? Did he have to, does he have to do any of this um, in the future? Did he have to make this plan? No, but he has, and he will carry it out. Why? Because he loves people enough to invest all of this effort in bringing them to Christ. He's not content uh, that he wouldn't make this final effort that he knows in advance will actually cause some to be saved. We better stop there. Father, thank you this morning for uh, our Bibles. Thank you for an accurate translation of all of your inspired and preserved words. Uh, Lord, thank you that we understand here the ministry of angels is to, uh, yes, bring forth the message, uh, but also in this case to minister the judgment also to blow forth the trumpets and to minister forth uh, the judgments. Lord, we understand this morning that these judgments actually are ministry. Uh, they're not simply angry judgments. Uh, yes, there's a wrath uh, in view, but there is a ministry uh, to lost people, uh, to shake them awake and to cause them to hear the gospel preached forth by the 144,000 that we saw in the last chapter. Lord, help us to see this for what it is. It's, it's ministry. It's, your, it's a reflection of your love and, and your desire that all would come to the knowledge of Christ, that all would be saved. Uh, Lord, we know today that uh, you're not using those 144,000, not just yet. You're using churches like ours, little churches uh, who have a, a big power of God because we're indwelt by uh, the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to get a hold of that great purpose that we have, the great commission uh, to go forth and to teach the gospel, uh, to baptize the new believers and to be uh, continuing in the ministry of teaching them uh, to observe, to obey all, all that our Savior has commanded. Lord, help us to be focused upon this great purpose. Lord, thank you for your words. We're grateful. We pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. See you back shortly. All the